everyone. In this episode of History Unloaded with Danny and Ashley, Danny decided to come back. I decided to be a host again. What? I decided to be a host again. Oh, sorry. I like totally like it broke up on my computer. So, Danny, real question: How did you feel being replaced by Ian McCollum? I would just like to go on record and say that you had to find as a stand-in co-host the only other person that you knew that owned a 410 infield for starters <laughs> i thought you were just gonna leave it at the only other person you knew <laughs> that would be so mean obviously you know camila but, you know but i think it was her. a good thing because you know people always like everyone always compares us to ian which is just horrifying like all the time and tells us like well ian you should talk to ian have you ever heard of this guy named ian and like one time remember we made that post where we were watching an ian video and i was like ian mccullum never heard of her <laughs> like <laughs> and people were like well you should listen to him he's great so like at least people now know that like ian and i are actually friends and maybe like stop telling me he exists because i'm aware yeah i mean i feel okay that he was like the stand-in host like that I feel it's a compliment in a way. And well, we'll have him back on because, you know, he got us way more downloads when he was on. <laughs> yeah, purely not not because we like him and we're friends, but he got us more downloads, so we'll have him back. Well, and Danny, I just want to say, so Ian was drinking when I, like, turned on the Zoom. Um, and now, to be fair, it's because he thought I told him to be drinking um, for the podcast when I had actually told him he should be drinking to listen to the podcast, but you know, same, same. <laughs> and yeah, so I had to get up and for... like panic, pour myself some bourbon, but I would just like to point out that I think we should implement a bourbon sipping at at least every other podcast. Noted. And I guess that's the life advice for all of our listeners. If you plan to be a co-host, I get, well, is that just advice if you're going to listen, like you have to be drinking? Is that? Is that <laughs> well, rule? I think that helps. <laughs> but also, if I drink whiskey on our podcast, do you think that Smashly would ever come out? I can only hope so. Smashly <laughs> is, a, is a person none of you have met yet, but she's great. I think, Danny, you should tell the story. Not the complete story, but like just the conversation and the dialogue that occurred the one time I drank too much in front of you. Um, it just really devolved into like driving back to the, like the hotel where the conference was at and the car was quiet and then Ashley out of nowhere slaps on the radio, like not even like turns it on or anything, it just slaps it on. And then no music came on. It was in the station she turned on was in the middle of commercials and she started dancing in the car to the commercial music. <laughs> so that's who Smashly is. So I was actually meaning like when we were all sitting around with our friends at our actual firearm sister. <laughs> <laughs> and how we all get like, you know, at once a year at like this one gun show, we all just hang out and drink. Uh, whiskey out of teacups made from Colonial Williamsburg and like get really rowdy and passionate about gun talk. That's what I meant. But yes, I also like to dance to commercials that too. That's true. I'm sorry. I took that the entirely wrong direction. <laughs> you took the opposite of what I wanted you to say, but it's fine. I have no shame and I'm not your supervisor anymore. So it's whatever. 
<laughs> so what are we talking about today, Danny? Well, another person that liked to get rowdy, uh, Sarah Winchester. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. I'm pretty sure she didn't actually like to get rowdy and she was pretty like quiet. Yeah, she seems like she was kind of quiet. I, I don't know her that well to say that she liked to get rowdy. Well, she's dead. So like, unless you communicated with her in her seance room. Well, and that's why we're doing this episode, because a lot of people act like they can talk to her still. Like she's this mysterious, mystic figure in American firearms history, sort of on the sidelines of American firearms history that gets brought up for weird opportunistic reasons so and played by I, Helen Mirren. I like that you said that like people think they can communicate with her. I don't actually think that's a thing, but I mean, sure. No, but here's the deal. Like, okay, sorry. I didn't mean to like jump in and interrupt right there, but <laughs> there's an academic book that has won prizes that was dangerously close to saying, I know this, like my source citation here is a seance with Sarah Winchester. Like they, like, Pamela Hogg was this close and people can't see how how close I'm holding my fingers, but she was this close to like saying ghosts are a reliable academic source. Danny really hates that book. We need to keep talking about reviewing it and we will at some point, but let me do it like, okay, so the Winchester Mystery House in San Jose, California, a lot of people are familiar with it. If you've watched like any ghost show on the Travel Channel or Discovery Channel over the years, like they cover the Winchester Mystery House. And so let's give like the, let's give the traditional history and then let's talk more about uh, why that came to be and debunking what we can because Sarah Winchester is actually one of my favorite characters throughout firearms history. And I guess she doesn't really get lumped in necessarily with fire, like traditional firearms history, although she should. Um, but she also would probably be insulted by that as well. But the story goes, Sarah Winchester married uh, William Wart Winchester, who was Oliver Winchester's son. And they were both from fine New England, Connecticut River Valley families. <laughs> oh, no, geography. <laughs> I had that a stroke. It's fine. Um, they were both from fine East Coast families. And Sarah Winchester, I, I almost went to the debunking part, but stop, Ashley. So Sarah married William Wirt Winchester, and they had a child. And um, William died of tuberculosis, and her child died as well. And the story goes that after they both passed away, Sarah moved out to California. She she met with a uh, medium, a, a prominent medium, and she went out to California um, because the medium had told her that she was being haunted um, and she had like bad karma um, from the people who were killed by Winchester rifles. Um, because after William died, you know, Sarah became what the largest shareholder of Winchester. Correct. Okay. Um, and so people, you know, the medium was like, you're being haunted by these ghosts and it only, the only way to appease them and to stop them from, I don't know, killing you, um, is to build this crazy house in San Jose, California. And like, there's, you know, the story goes, there's a seance room and that she would communicate with the spirits and that they were, there was nonstop building for the rest of her life in California. And it was this kooky house that you could actually tour still to this day where there's stairwells to nowhere, doorways to nowhere, just all kinds of crazy stuff. And people say it's because the ghosts made her do it. Um, and she died um, in the 19 teens. And then the house was um, sold uh, publicly and bought by people 
and I'm about to debunk it again. So I'll just say people. And it's been toured. It's been toured as a, as a, uh, it's been an attraction for almost a hundred years now, at least 90. Um, and so it's, it's been kind of a mainstay. And some of the stories that you hear about it, like in addition to the ghost stories that, you know, Walt Disney allegedly went to the house and it inspired the haunted mansion. Although the, the framework for the building in and of itself didn't inspire the construction of Disneyland's haunted mansion. That's a specific home, um, back East with the concept of the haunted mansion, um, was inspired by Walt Disney. And then there was the movie a couple of years ago, which I just realized, Danny, we've never done the review of that movie because you're too chicken. I hate scary movies with. It's actually, you know what? It's actually quite enjoyable. And the historical inaccuracy of it is just like, oh, it's so good, Danny. Like you have to. I imagine the, like the, the inaccuracy of the movie would like remove my suspension of disbelief to the point where it wouldn't be actually scary. And I could just be like, so spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Winchester, which used to be Winchester, the house that ghosts built, but they changed that name. Um, They probably changed it in response to our weird social media posts when it came about ghost builders. (laughs) I'm claiming Um, that. But I think my favorite part of that whole movie, and this is a total spoiler, but it's not historically accurate spoiler, is that like she's being haunted by a Confederate, I think it's a Confederate soldier whose brother or he got killed by a Winchester rifle, which if you know anything about Civil War history, it's not possible. (laughs) Preposterous. Absolutely preposterous. Just so good. And at one point, like I think all the Winchester rifles just float up in the air because she's got the, the other part that's really funny about this movie is that there's a so the Winchester Mystery House used to have a little gun museum. They don't anymore. It's now an escape room, but that gun museum was like incorporated into the concept of the house. Like it had always been there. And so like <laughs> uh so there was a gun room in the house, and like at one point I think all of the Winchester rifles like floated up and like pointed at somebody and like went you know, like we're about to fire. Dan, you have to watch it. Like, it's all right, all right. so good. Like, <laughs> I own it. So, like, next time I'm in Cody, which is in a few weeks, we can, I'll bring it with us and we can do a movie. Watch now. party. Camila just looked so excited. <laughs> I didn't tell Camila I was coming into town. So, <laughs> whoops. Um, so, that's the often repeated conventional story. And really, like, the popular if she does come up in at all in like popular discussion or popular culture, like that is the story of Sarah Winchester. Like there's not really an alternative. It's only an alternative story in some pretty niche circles like ours. Um, in trivia time, do you know Sarah's maiden name? I did, but I don't right now. I don't know how to say it, but it's like, it's spelled party. Oh, which sounds yeah, like party, party, which is kind of what I implied at the beginning of the podcast. Um, no, too much. Um, but Anywho, there's a, there's a, like there's a lot more to the Sarah Winchester story. Right. And so even though it that may or may not debunk the ghost story in and of itself, um, and that and that was kind of like I kept having not to trip over my own words because I talk about this a lot um, and not giving away too much um, of her actual history. But I think one of the most um, overlooked part of Sarah's life was that she was just a very like kind and giving person. And she was a genius. And um, she attended, I want to say it was like Yale University, like the girls' school. Um, it might have been Yale, might have been another one of those like Ivies. But she, I mean, she was from a very well-off family. Her father was uh, an engineer and built, I think, was it wagons or had something to do with carriages? 
Um, and oh, so yeah. she herself was an engineer. Um, and when she moved out to the house in, in San Jose, and I can explain a little bit more about like the house and why she was there. But um, when she moved out of the house, a lot of the things in there, like there's this crazy, and by crazy, I don't mean like woohoo. I mean like crazy awesome, um, like internal plumbing system because she's got this greenhouse in the middle of her house. And so she, you know, created this like plumbing system for the greenhouse so that, you know, everything can continue to like all the plants can thrive in the middle of the house, you know, all year long. And so there are inventions throughout the entire house that are hers. And so, you know, she doesn't get enough credit for being as brilliant as she was. And then on top of that, she, she was very generous. Um, and she, after, after her husband died, she actually, um, named and, and donated enough money to name a tuberculosis, tuberculosis, tuberculosis wing in Connecticut of a hospital. So the people of New Haven see her much more as this like, um, benefactress, uh, is that a word? Is that is, is benefactor? It is now. It is now. Uh, you know, she was like, they knew that she was incredibly charitable. She was incredibly kind. Um, and, I, and I always like to say this, um, when I asked Laura Trevelyan, um, who's a you know, reporter, she's a British reporter who's related to the Bennett family, um, which is a Winchester family. And uh, when she was doing her research, somebody, as she wrote a book about Winchester and she gave a lecture at our museum and somebody asked about Sarah Winchester being crazy because she does a talk about it in the book. And she said that um, she thinks that Sarah was sad, not mad. In a yeah, much cooler British a, accent. Yeah, she had. She said it way cooler because she was. She's extremely cool, and we aren't. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it was this idea that like she got. I think in her lifetime, she got started to be painted as this kind of recluse and all this different stuff. And I think it had a lot to do with the tragedy in her family life. Um, but it made this really rich breeding ground for all these sort of rumors and stories about her. And, you know, and, and really like the stories that are sort of on that mythical side of her, like the stories get crazy, like that she wouldn't let work stop ever for like even a minute. Um, you know, that she had to be working on the house like 24 seven. So she had workers like all day and night, which, you know, um, and that there's, it's there's not all true. these elements. Yeah. And really what we're getting, we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves. Like we're debunking a little bit ahead, but the problem with all this story about her, there is zero evidence to back any of it up. Like the only yeah. evidence that backs it up is that the house is weird. Like that's yeah. what backs up the story. Exactly. And there's, you know, there's an archivist at the Winchester Mystery House that's done a lot of research and they're, and the, the, they, they know for a fact that the work did not continue 24 seven. I mean, they've been able to prove that that didn't happen. Um, also, you know, as an aside, she paid her workers very well. Like I can't remember. It's like double or maybe more than that of what people were making at the time. The reclusive story also is not true from the, the research the archivist has done there. I mean, they've, they've found that she spent more time out of the house than she ever spent inside of it. And the reason that she moved out there, um, there is a story that she went to a doctor and said her health would be better if she moved out West. I've never looked to see if that story is true, but she had family in the, in the Bay area. 
And so she moved out west and she bought this house in San Jose because she thought her family would move in with her. But then they ultimately ended up moving uh, more to San Francisco, which was fine. So she spent, she owned a boat. Like she, I can't, it was, I have to look it up now. She had like this boat that had like a crazy name. Um, so, I mean, she was out of the house all the time and she wasn't alone in the house. Her niece stayed with her for a while. Well, and that's sort of like what you hinted at earlier in that she's this brilliant woman that gets sidelined by this, you know, this, this story about her and what's lost is like, if you think about it, she owned like half of Winchester arms, like her shares of the company were that significant. And she had got like a flat cash payout when the, when, um, after William and Oliver had both passed away. So like, you know, she was direct in line for a big chunk of money. And so she was hugely wealthy, very smart and very independent in a time. And like, it's a, if it's almost a really empowering story of like, she's a slave that like moves across the country, builds her own house, like does her own thing in a time where that wasn't super common. And it just, that whole side of the story gets totally lost because people only want to talk about this weird ghost story. Cause we're obsessed with ghosts. So the, ha the, the houseboat she owned in San Francisco was they, it became known as Sarah's Ark. <laughs> and like to give you guys, so we've talked about like how wealthy she is, but to give you some idea of like the scale we're talking about, like she would have been a billionaire pretty easily in today's terms. Like, yeah, like without too much trouble. Um, well, and you know, they, so we know that there was, there wasn't constant building. We know that she wasn't that reclusive. She just like, you could totally picture like, I mean, look at people today. They spread all kinds of rumors and like, could right. you like, so she was this crazy rich lady. Um, I keep using the word crazy. I should stop that. I, but I don't mean it in that sense. She was a super rich lady that moved out West and didn't really care anything about the socialite world. And so like, she like, didn't let them in to her parlor for, you know, backgammon or whatever it was that rich ladies did Scandals. back then. So they spread some rumors about her and that's not cool, you know? And she was just like, whatever, I'm too smart for this. Um, well, but that story did, you know, come about during her lifetime and, and, and she didn't, it's true. She didn't really want to engage with a lot of like the local community. That wasn't really her reason for being there. And, you know, I think there's two big reasons that sort of kind of prove to me why the, you know, despite the, you know, even if you say, well, it could, it's even without the archival evidence, sort of that, that story could be true. The, the stories about her could be true. The thing that disproves it for me is the fact that for the rest of her life, like that entire house is built not on the money she inherited, but on the profits she continued to make off the company. Like remember she owned shares in the company. So she was, as they be grew and became successful, like she continued to make money. Like she never divested herself of her ownership stake of Winchester. And well, oh, sorry, go ahead. the bigger, the like, the bigger nail in the coffin for me. Um, <laughs> Crazy to, nail in the coffin. We're just yeah. crushing it on this podcast. Is that like the family that bought it, bought it to turn it into an attraction, like almost immediately after her death. So they, they knew the story that had like kind of popped up in her lifetime. And they were like, we can turn this into something. So they had a vested interest in keeping that story alive. And they were really good at it. Like they did it well and turn it into a tourist attraction. So like those two things seem very suspicious to me.
Well, and, and you know, the, the one thing that to think about when you go, if you go visit it today is, you know, they do still tell a lot of the ghost story, although they really do like, um, they do focus on a lot of her inventions and that kind of thing, but they do, fo- like, they don't, you know, debunk the ghost story. And the, the reason behind a lot of that is the difference between it's an attraction, not a museum. You know, and that's and that is a very big distinction for how that they interpret it. Now, there are some things that are explainable in the house. Um, So Sarah was really small and she had really bad arthritis. So the like if you've been in the house, there's these like little tiny stairs, you know, they're not they're like not too tall. That was made for her specifically because of her arthritis and her size. Um, This the the famous or infamous Stairwell to Nowhere was after the um, earthquake in the early 1900s in San Francisco um, actually destroyed the top three levels of the house. Sarah got locked, got caught in her room during that, which was not on the, which was not on the floors that got destroyed. But um, after that, she just had the, the, those floors boarded up. She was like, I'm out. Um, So she just didn't rebuild. So the Stairwell to Nowhere originally went to somewhere. Um, and then the doorway to nowhere, which is on the side of the house, um, I think the, the general understanding of it is it's a construction entrance. Um, you know, so it's this high up doorway so that you could like send, you know, like equipment and materials up into it. And so, you know, some of those more kitschy parts, you know, and it's, uh, it's such an attraction when you go, there's literally a sign that says doorway to nowhere. <laughs> uh, like on the side of it. And so, you know, like a lot of those things do have explanations. Now, you, Danny, you mentioned the fact that it, you know, there's no evidence that she went to see a medium. There's no evidence that she did these seances. There's no evidence of any of that stuff. Now, the concept in and of itself is not crazy during that time period because spiritualism was really big then. Um, I want to say like Mrs. Stanford or, you know, one of those Ivy League, like, wives she like she was a spiritualist but she was also married and protected by her husband and stuff so spiritualism was not you know unheard of it was very popular during that time period which i think probably helped lend to lend that to the story but i don't think and i could be wrong if like you know i'll ask my winchester mystery house people but i don't think there's ever been any evidence that she was she herself was actually a spiritualist right it was it's one of those things where there's the stories about her and everybody could point to, well, it's pretty, it's kind of popular among like New England elite. So yeah, she could have been one. So yeah, she was one. Like that's the evolution, but there's no, there's no, I think direct link that she was involved in it. So, yeah. but it sort of, it fits the, she kind of got typecast into it, so to speak. Well, and while this is not any type of actual fact, I've been to the house many, many, many times because I've worked for the house before. And when you walk around, like I guess when you work in the museum field, you hang out with enough rich people like that are donors and stuff. And, and you know, and, and like and we're not talking just like people with a lot of money. We're talking about people with like a ton of money. And when you walk around the house, you're just like, yep. She's just eccentric, you know, and that she wanted to do this. And then she was like, meh. I want to try something else, you know? And so there's just a lot of unfinished projects in the house. And to me, when I'm in there, it makes me feel like just a rich eccentric was there who, you know, wanted to try a bunch of things, but didn't didn't necessarily care about the actual like finished product. And having now like worked in a job where you um, meet like wealthy eccentric people, like it, it kind of fits like not yeah. to be mean about it, but it kind of fits like they get interested in project and they have the money to make it go really far pretty quickly. And then it sort of peters out and you're like left with this. I don't know. It, it fits. It weirdly fits. 
So here's something, Danny, to think about that I always find really interesting. So the story about her being crazy and, you know, being haunted by these ghosts killed by Winchester rifles um, hints to the fact that publicly there is a shift in the 20th century about how Americans view firearms and gun culture, quote unquote, um, you know, in the 20th century. I mean, because before you don't get a lot of that kind of metaphorical examples of the gun, you know, in use, mm-hmm. but clearly people had to, there had to be people who didn't really like guns, uh, like operating in that time period because they, you know, the story that you'd be haunted by people killed by guns wouldn't have gotten, you know, a hold so much if, if people still felt the way that they did about guns, like in the 19th century. So like, what do you think about the, the, the perpetuation and the use of Sarah as kind of a cautionary tale for gun violence historically? Well, and if you think about too, like when Sarah died, I forget if it was 1919 or 1920, but it's in the late teens, I think. I pulled up um, her Wikipedia page once I, she died in <laughs> 1922, so we're all wrong. Oh, okay. I'm way off. But if you think about it, like everyone had just come out of this hugely traumatic event of World War One, where the violence was sort of unprecedented and the tools of warfare were also pretty unprecedented. Um, and you're rolling right into a time period in American history where the, I think we sort of overplay like the constant violent shootouts of prohibition but they were definitely a thing um and so that level of violence too i think plays into this idea of people people were starting to perceive it a little differently and it i mean it gets into the whole idea like one of the other myth busting aspects of this and you touched on it really like early on in the podcast with the reference to that you know in the movie the was the haunting is a ghost of a confederate soldier killed by a winchester which just didn't happen um but the idea that like winchester was this you know tool of great violence on the american plains is also a bit of a misnomer because now we know winchester is the gun that won the west was because of a marketing campaign probably around the same time as sarah you know the final few years of sarah's life like winchester was pushing that narrative that we won the west and then it's you know, somewhat ironic that this counterpoint to it pops up in Sarah Winchester's home with this idea that, well, these guns contributed to the violence of the West. But, you know, looking back from a historian's perspective, now we can see that, well, they're both kind of wrong. Like, you know, Winchesters were used in the West, certainly, but, you know, it's it's hard to say that, that it lived up to either um, stereotype, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's an interesting case study, like for so many reasons. I, you know, I find it really interesting because um, of the gun violence, quote unquote, component to the the narrative and, and shifting in culture and, you know, how people view guns. But I also think it's kind of interesting because it's like you get this powerful woman and I'm, oh, now I'm going to sound like total, like down with the patriarchy, but you know, like you, it is kind of interesting that like you get this powerful, smart, rich woman who runs, who basically, even though she wasn't, you know, affiliated with the gun company, like she wasn't involved in product development, you know, but she was still the biggest shareholder. Um, you know, you, you get this super powerful woman and like, I don't know why you got to tear her down. Well, yeah. And that's kind of what, like, it, it's weird because she could be such a role model for 
a number of really positive reasons, like her philanthropy, her her inventiveness, her you know just her like social standing, like the the role she played in an age day and age when it wasn't, um, you know, she was kind of different, and but none of that gets talked about because it's all obscured under this, haha, Sarah Winchester, you know, was crazy. Well, and I mean, look at her contemporary of the time, Elizabeth. Um... Colt, I sorry, I, she's got so many names. Elizabeth Hart Jarvis Colt, I think, or Elizabeth Jarvis Hart Colt. I don't even know, but you know, Elizabeth Colt. When when Sam Colt died in '62, I mean, she was actively involved in her, you know, in the company after that. And you know, a lot of people credit Elizabeth Colt with the creation of the legend of Sam Colt. You know, the the imagery around Sam Colt because he was kind of a douchebag, and she was beloved. So you know, she kind of canonized him in a way that people, you know, are coming to the point where they may even credit her with, you know, the legacy that we all associate with Colt. And she doesn't get talked about often, you know. But it's an interesting, like, you know, double standard because when you look at Sarah, it's this brilliant, eccentric, you know, kooky lady, you know, but nobody wants to talk about her brilliance or philanthropy and all that stuff. But with Elizabeth, it's all about her philanthropy and how she's, uh, oh gosh, the first lady of Hartford, I think, um, you know, and this wonderful things. But then the people that are saying that out of the other side of their mouth, they condemn Sam Colt for his, you know, part in a gun company that's so, you know, oft associated with massive violence. And, you know, one thing that I find interesting about that is, you know, you guys basically, you know, praise her for her role. But then if you're going to praise her for all of those things that she did, she was actively involved with the company. So you also need to condemn her for her role in the gun company if you are against the gun company. So it's a weird, you know, conversation about how powerful women are perceived and what things cause those women to be condemned, like Sarah Winchester, and what, uh, you know, and what being a powerful woman during that time can also overlook, depending on how you feel about guns. Remember that time when we were in Hartford and we listened to that lecture and the dude made a really like poignant statement while we were standing under like guns that had been made by Colt and obviously, you know, contributed to this question of violence that we're dealing with today. And you and I were like seeing at these things and they were totally a hundred percent signal cannons. Oh yeah, that was the same guy that also talked about the names on the wall of the memorial of Civil War soldiers for like at Harvard or something, and how many of them had been killed by the uh, by the yeah, Cold Revolver. And then like the I think it was Alex McKenzie was like, "Nah, man, poop." <laughs> yeah, we were talking about it afterwards, and like, well, given the percentage of like Civil War deaths, Union soldiers probably weren't killed by Colts, and were probably way more likely killed by camp diseases, like. Well, and, and, and it's, I mean, I can't remember the number is so low for the number of people because they, it's so low. They combine shotguns and handguns together for gun deaths. For right. Like civil war casualties are like the leading causes are like regular, like musket ball, like, like, uh, musk, uh, why can't I say words? Um, musket okay. and rifle musket projectiles and artillery pieces. Like those are the leading cause of death. Well, behind diseases of all kinds because disease was like the number one killer in the civil war yeah. and then way 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 down on, at the bottom like under bayonet wounds which are a fraction themselves it's like shotguns and handguns yeah but we've now gotten 
like how we started with Sarah Winchester. We went and we talked about her story. We talked about violence and gun violence and the perception. Oh no, we marginalized her again. Talking about the role of women and the and now we're just talking about poop. So I think it's done. I think we're done. (laughs) I think we're all done. So that (laughs) devolved fast. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed this one and us talking about a what we think or a person that we think is a very cool figure from firearms history that does not get the attention she deserves. Exactly, and we're taking a little break. We'll break C from episodes. We'll be starting episodes back up towards the end of October to do some more Halloween stuff. So if you've recently joined the podcast, go back and listen to the back catalog. Uh, But this will, I think, be the end of our season three run. And then we'll start season four in October. Mainly because we ran out of things to talk about. That's not true. We're so good. It is true. We're so good at this. Very, very true. (laughs) All right. We'll see you guys in October. Bye. Bye.